Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel. And I'm Chris Delano. And uh, today we have something very exciting to share with you, which I am super excited to finally be able to share. Wow. Imagine being excited to share something that is exciting to share. See, it's really fun because unlike you and Jay, I only see occasional glimpses about two weeks into the future, uh, while you can see all the way into like next year. Yeah, we have a uh, a free preview card for Zendikar Rising, which, uh, small disclaimer, is a set that I worked on and uh, wrote creative text for, so uh, I'm I'm obviously thrilled that we're in preview season. It's like... Preview season when you're a fan is really good. Preview season when it's your work is like, it's like every day it's just like a bunch of little presents to the magic community around the world. And we we get to unwrap one of those presents today. We do. And it's especially exciting for me because it slides directly into one of my favorite commander decks that I have. Uh, Why do you want to start us off? Uh, well, what commander is that? I want to slow roll it. Uh, well... Of course, we're on Zendikar, so the commander is Lord Windgrace. Ah, yes. Because I only care about lands, and I especially love my lands when they just change zones constantly. I want them in my deck, in my hand, in play, in my graveyard. I want to move them around. Nice. Yeah, so we have a, a little card uh, called Nahiri's Lithoforming. Why don't you read this card? And, and I, I think people who know Lord Windgrace will uh, then understand why uh, this card has you excited. So Nahiri's Lithoforming, it's a red sorcery. It's a rare. Uh, It has a cost of X red red, which means you can pour a ton of mana into this, but you're kind of limited by how much mana you can pour into it because the spell says sacrifice X lands. For each land sacrificed this way, draw a card. You may play X additional lands this turn. Lands you control enter the battlefield tapped this turn. So you get to just sacrifice all of the lands you have, draw that many cards, and then play that many lands again, which means you get all of the lands in your graveyard, all of the sacrifice triggers, if you care about that, all of the uh, landfall triggers when you get to play your new lands, you get to replace some lands with new spells. It's just a giant, giant draw spell that does everything you want in a landfall Windgrace deck. Uh, yeah, I have a Titania deck. And I'm very sad I can't play this card because adding a 5-3 elemental token onto... They are 5-3s, right? I'm, you know, I have a Titanium deck. So. I don't remember how big the tokens are. I don't know. I have the tokens physically, so I don't have to remember them. There's text on card. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, this card's pretty sweet. And like, you know, looking at its interaction with Zendikar, Landfall is returning. This is, this is a card that if you're in kind of a beat-down landfall deck, like a, a lot of the red-green decks that you, you we've seen in past Zendikar sets. This is a card where you can just play it and then plop, like, four lands onto the battlefield and just steamroll someone in one turn. It gets, like, big, exciting plays. Or, like, if you flood out, uh, you can dump excess lands into this card to draw cards. It is uh, a card all about taking one resource and converting it into something else in a big flashy way which is appropriate because on the art here we have nahiri in the middle of this molten crevasse uh pulling the magma and rock into new shapes with the flavor text uh which is a, a quote from nahiri 
Zendikar has suffered enough. It is time, at last, for my home to know peace. And uh, this is, in fact, a story spotlight card. Uh, art, by the way, by uh, Campbell White, who is uh, new to Magic this year. Yeah, uh, Campbell White has done, in the past, some really great pieces of art. Uh, Ichthyomorphosis being the first piece that he did. And recently, in Jumpstart, the card Immolating Gyre, which I feel has a lot of similarities in terms of uh, the magma and the spinning and the just looked, you know, very much something that uh, this artist is really good at. I am personally excited about this story spotlight because we kind of got a little view of it in this week's story uh, when Nahiri sort of falls towards some lava and uses her lithomancy to save herself and calm the royal at the same time. This story spotlight is embodying the power of Nahiri's plan. She wishes to enforce her will, destroy the lands of Zendikar, rebuild them in a way that she thinks is going to be better. Her quest is to stop the royal and the, uh, the tumultuous, violent natural disasters are still killing people on Zendikar. And she's like, Hey, we can we can stop this. I can stop this. And there are consequences to that that you will read about in the Magic Story, which has returned to the uh, Magic website. You know, this is a thing people have been asking for for the last like, year and a half. Uh, it's been since Ravnica Allegiance since we've had Magic Story on the website. So uh, it, it is going back there after taking off some time to do some novels and ebook novellas and i still don't know why we had the news bulletin whatever emails for the Django wexler ravnica stories but uh that was a thing that happened but uh yeah so uh we have a new magic story format we have our our main story is happening on wednesdays and then on fridays there are like side stories about legends and and folks on the plane that are that are not directly tied to the main story. So we're we're kind of getting a mix of you know here is magic's narrative and hey here is some cool stuff that's happening on Zendikar. We're we're getting like a mix of the best of both worlds, honestly. Uh, with the Ravnica Allegiance and Guilds of Ravnica stories, everyone talked about how much they loved those slice of life stories that we got and how great it was to be able to see these other characters and sort of get a feel for the plane outside of the major story as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but everyone also really wanted plot. And so now we're getting plot and slice of life kind of at the same time. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, the uh, the first episode uh, went up last week, and you can read that's by A.T. Greenblatt, who's uh, done a bunch of short story work and, and genre work, and uh, was really enjoyable. I liked it a lot. There was a specific exchange between Nahiri and Nyssa, that touches on something that was fundamental to uh, my work on their arena scripts. So it's it's always nice for me when I see uh, some some of the disparate pieces of work surrounding a set uh, sync up like that in in really satisfying ways. I just personally that is that is really nice for me. But uh, yeah, so story means we are gonna be kind of shifting how things go on the podcast. I, I, I guess shifting back. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of do an every other week thing and, and cover a couple stories at once. This will give people time to read the stories 
it will allow us to continue doing a lot of the other kind of content we've been creating. It'll allow us to still do story summaries and reviews and discussions and things like all that. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to to extend story talk like that again uh, when we, you know, we had one episode for an entire novel. Uh, and it, this is shifting back. And I, and I hope I hope y'all listeners uh, are excited for that. And, you know, you, you are the Vorthos community, uh, not not the entire Vorthos community. But but if you are listening to our podcast, I would assume you are part of the Vorthos community. Uh, if not, I'm very curious why you're listening um, <laughs> for the preview card. Well, let's be honest. Well, I mean, that part's over. they're just going to look at the uh, the Twitter post. It's OK. If, if you are listening for the preview <laughs> card, we're 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 past that now. So. You know, you can stop if you really want. But, you know, you know, you could just keep listening because we have other things to say. It's pretty cool because uh, we have a lot of things to say. But before we move on, uh, I just do want to mention to everyone, if you really look forward to learning more about Smurt and Bindarin and Ruse, it's going to be a little while before we get to do another D&D episode. But I promise we will still try and make those happen. Yeah, there's going to be plenty of time for us to get in Zendikar D&D between now and uh, a special little set called Kaldheim. But uh, yes. we'll, we'll we'll talk about the 2021 announcements later in this episode. But uh, yeah, no, we you know we we started the D and D thing because of a lack of story content, specifically because there was no story content for um, Theros Beyond Death. Although with Akoria with the novella, I mean the novella was just one episode, so we still had a lot of time for D and D. We're still gonna get to D and D. We are working on our schedule uh we're figuring things out we'll we'll get there so the folks who like the D D stuff that's not going away to 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 be clear about that no i have i have big ideas for ruse uh and <laughs> oh i do too fascinating <laughs> uh you, you better you're the gm you should have ideas for everybody so we're back on zendikar and the aldrazi are dead at least the two yeah. the two that were here, uh, Ulamog and Kozilek, the Eldrazi Titans, are vanquished. Zendikar is no longer at war. What does Zendikar look like after this? Well, that's something I thought a lot about working on this set. But uh, the big picture is it's kind of back to business. Um, Zendikar is a world that sees disasters all the time. There is death. There is danger every single day. So, yeah. Sure, the war against the Eldrazi was long and brutal and a little more excessive than people are used to, but at the at the end of the day, once it's over, it's just like, yeah, it was just another dangerous thing that happened that killed a bunch of people. That's just a day on Zendikar. Uh, so everyone's back to adventuring. and Yeah, and they've, oh my god, they've captured that adventurer feel so well. Yeah. Like when Mark Rosewater said we're back to adventure world, uh -huh. he meant it. Oh, this yeah. is adventure world. Oh, yeah. No, uh, a lot of people were doubting that uh, this this set really captures that feel of the original Zendikar and Old Wake. The, um, the kind of Indiana Jones, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, adventurers exploring and finding treasure and, you know, battling against rival explorers and battling against vicious wildlife and battling against carnivorous plants and battling against the land itself, you know. 
the battle for Zendikar was maybe oh my god the treasure oh, wow. we found along the way which was the friends we also made i don't know how that all works out but that's not important oh world wake me up when you're done with this pun <laughs> Uh, so one of the things we did get uh, earlier this week was a world building article kind of catching people up with, hey, we're separated a little bit of time from the Battle for Zendikar and Oath of the Gatewatch sets. You know, the Gatewatch went through this whole battle against Nicobolus and then a whole other battle against Nicobolus. And <laughs> we are back on Zendikar and we are looking at a world that is going back to normal, but also like very much just went through the battle against the Eldrazi and has to deal with that. Um, you know, back to normal, but also still the war happened. You know, it's a recent event. It still affected things. Uh, you know, we're, we'll link to the world building article, um, but also we just wanted to, to kind of go over um, a few of the things that are updated. And so like one of the, one of the core conceits of the set is that, uh, the Eldrazi are dead, but the royal is still happening. Um, now, the, the royal is this natural process on Zendikar. The land itself uh, basically had, like, an, an immune response to the Eldrazi being trapped on the plane. But there's it, the plane is still having that response. So, uh, you know, every, everyone thought, you know, if the Eldrazi are dead, the royal will stop. And obviously it hasn't. And it's still causing a lot of destruction. So this is kind of Nahiri's arc is oh no, the royal is still here and it's hurting people and I am Zendikar, so I'm going to fix it by doing what I, a planeswalker who is largely unaware of the mending, does best. And that is enforce my will over an entire plane unilaterally. Yeah, uh, I think it's really interesting, the, the royal itself and the way that it works on Zendikar and the perspectives we get from it. Because we have... This perspective of Nahiri, who was there before the royal was doing this thing, and we have Nissa, who's always lived with it, and we can kind of see be between them and through them sort of a different approach to it and what the royal means to them. I think both of them can say like, hey, the royal, you know, is dangerous. It kills people. It destroys things. It makes it impossible to like maintain a normal, steady life on Zendikar. But, I mean... That's kind of the nature of Zendikar. And so you have that split between them of Nahiri who wants to stop it and Nissa who kind of wants to embrace it in some ways. It yeah. is the life of Zendikar. <laughs> See, it's it's tricky to for me to answer those points because I want to save a lot of the thoughts that are in my head at this very moment for the episode where we discuss the story. Because th this conflict yeah. is is really at the heart of uh, the first episode. It's it's really at the heart of um, their arena scripts, too. A, a lot of my work was was mirroring Nahiri and Nyssa. Uh, they are foils for each other. Um, it's very cool. I'll When Zedekar mm. Rising is up on Arena, I'll have a big Twitter thread about the characters, but uh, they, they are at very interesting positions in the story because the royal exists. And um, an, another big environmental factor in this set is the Archangel Iona, who is gigantic and protected the... Uh, so so above the continent of Tazim, where Seagate is, there's uh, Ameria, which is a bunch of uh, sky ruins. And there were some lower ruins, hedrons and rocks and such. 
that people explored. But, uh, you know, there was only so high people could go in the ruins because Iona was protecting them. When the Eldrazi rose, Iona left her post to go fight the Eldrazi. Which means the ruins she was guarding were available for exploration. And Zendikari's gotta explore. It's just what they do. So uh, a small expedition party wandered up there and found a bunch of really unique ruins that nobody had ever seen before and brought back a lot of really strong artifacts and wild magical items. And uh, while they were up there, they kind of triggered a thing. And uh, so it turns out 6,000 years ago, the ancient core had an empire. This is this is Nahiri's people. Nahiri grew up in a Zendikar where the core ruled with an iron fist. This is uh, the Makindi Empire. And they ruled Zendikar from seven flying fortress-like cities called Skyclaves. These were magical cities that held thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people. And were were used to originally be safe havens on Zendikar and, and be uh, urban areas for the court to build a network of communities. And then over time became this tyrannical dictatorship that oppressed the other groups on uh, Zendikar. And over the course of a century, over 6,000 years ago, the Skyclaves were destroyed. One on Guldraz... Uh, so so there was like a skyclave on each continent, and uh, the one on Guldraz was uh, pulled into the swamp by the royal, dragged down and and buried in muck. And this was a pre-Eldrazi royal too. So the royal has always been part of Zendikar. Yes, but this was before the Eldrazi, and we know that because of the fate of some of the other sky ruins or uh, skyclaves. Yes. Uh, so then on the continent of Balaged, a elf named Obun led a revolt against their core dictators and brought the Balaged Skyclave to the ground. On Morassa, the Skyclave there sat above Sunder Bay, which is a, a gigantic bay on the... I was about to say on the coast of Morassa, which, yeah, that's usually <laughs> where bays are. <laughs> Generally on the coast, yes. Yeah, if, if, if they're not on the coast, they're called lakes. And uh, it was pulled into the sea by a gigantic sea monster, uh, which I want to believe is Lorthos. It may not have been, but I want to believe. May he rest in peace, says. You're mean. Um, I am. So uh, at, at this point, like civil war racked Zendikar and uh, the Skyclave on Andu turned against the rest of the empire. The city was destroyed in that civil war. As the McKinney Empire was falling apart, the Kargan tribes, which are these uh, warriors and barbarians up in Akum, in, in the mountains, uh, they learned how to tame dragons and brought the fight up to the Akum Skyclave and, and revolted and brought it down. Uh, Iona personally took down the Tazim Skyclave, uh, fighting for the freedom of the people of Zendikar, which is probably why she protected it, so that, like, you know, Z the Zendikari would not investigate those ruins and, and the evil intents within. 
And then the final Skyclave in Sejiri, which is the big polar continent, uh, was brought down by a wayward Eldrazi tentacle when they were lured to the plane by Sorin, Nahiri, and Ugin, which uh, gives us a really good timeline for you know when when this whole situation happened. So like Nahiri grew up as her empire was falling apart, and and she she knows of their technology and can read their old writing. But uh, the Skyclaves are now risen again. And all these old ruins buried, drowned for 6,000 years are now back with their own unique forms of life that have evolved in the darkness and the magic. And they are ripe for exploration. Parallel to this, the lighthouse at Seagate, which is a city that spans a dam that... uh, blocks the uh, Halimar Sea from the greater ocean on the continent of Tazim. And uh, this tower, this lighthouse tower, was destroyed by Kozilek during the Battle for Zendikar. And uh, in the time since, uh, Tazri, who was one of the leaders of the Allied forces, and the angel Linvala, who was a kind of guardian angel and has now chosen to like aid with the uh, reconstruction of Seagate. So the Seagate Lighthouse has been rebuilt. The I, I assume the library is back being um, filled with scrolls and research. And Seagate has also become the center of a lot of expeditions. So they have their own expedition house now that is, that is new and kind of leading the Skyclave... Um, exploration uh secretly funded by nahiri as to why that's yeah. that's a mystery that's a really interesting little tidbit there that i'm sure will get explored in the story gosh i wonder what that could mean what would nahiri want in the skyclaves the destroyed cities of her own people <laughs> Gee, i just whiz. think it's a little shady of nahiri to be funding anything because she can literally just make gold yeah she just like pulls gold out of the the rocks and which mind you conjured currency is a blue spell and she's a white red planeswalker but lithomancy works in mysterious ways i mean it works on rocks it's not that mysterious oh but magnets can also be rocks and i don't know how those work who's to say (laughs) And kind of the the final thing is that we we get an answer to what happened with the vampires. So uh, before the Eldrazi rose, there were there were two remaining blood chiefs, and the blood chiefs are the only ones who can make new vampires. There was um, Drana of the Calastria House and um, Kalitus of the House of Get. And when the Eldrazi returned, Kalitus sided with them. Drana rebelled against the interdimensional masters. And Kalidus is killed, and Drana's now the only blood chief in existence. She's the only being on the plane who can make new vampires, which is very bad for her people, because they can't make new vampires. If she doesn't figure out, like, a way to more quickly make more vampires, they're going to go extinct. I mean, at least they can still reproduce. You know, like uh, Anawan and the Aki goblins did to make the purple people in Dominaria. We are not entertaining your ridiculous theories. The purple people are natural human (laughs) species on Dominaria. (laughs) (laughs) 
confirmed canon. <laughs> it's not put it into the lore. Canon. I I would love for it to be though. But uh, yeah, so uh, the vampires are have this identity crisis about who they are as people. Um, and you know, their, their, their big city of Malakir was raised basically to the ground during the battle for Zendikar. And, uh, they, they are struggling with their place in the world because, you know, they're, they're also, you know, during the battle for Zendikar, Drana worked with non-vampires and like had to enter in trusting friendships with non-vampires during the war. And a lot of vampires did. And, and what does a world after the war where, the vampires aren't fighting against a common enemy anymore. How do, how do how does that trust sustain itself? How does that trust collapse? And you know, they there are a lot of questions about the vampires' place in this world uh, as spawns of the Eldrazi, which I don't think is a commonly known fact to the people of Zendikar, uh, which hasn't stopped them from hating the vampires anyway. But uh, yeah, it's, there's uh, a lot of interesting small things that are going into uh, our third visit to Zendikar. That's basically the uh, the rundown as we can share so far of the world building. Um, I think it's really fascinating, really exciting stuff. It feels almost like a brand new world because of that separation we had from Battle for Zendikar and uh, Oath of the Gatewatch. We now are back to Zendikar as adventure world, but we don't have the looming mystery of the Eldrazi anymore. We have a much more plainer threat of the looming threat of a core dominance again, I suppose, or a, a, a coritarianism. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, I'm. This set's really cool. I'm really excited. I'm really excited to read up on all the little stories. Uh, I know. I know, like, the main plot stuff, but, uh, you know, the little side stories are unknown to me, and I'm, I'm very interested, because I, I like little side of like stories, but, uh, yeah, this, this, the new world-building things gave me a lot to think about when working on the set, and, uh, you know, and, and writing for these characters, you know, how, how do Jace, Nissa, and Nahiri relate to Zendikar after the Eldrazi, uh, you know, stuff like that. It's, uh, yeah, I guess we should mention that Jace is here too. Yeah, Jace is here, like we mentioned Nissa and Nahiri. Nahiri on Jace one yet. side, Nissa on the other, and and Jace gets stuck in the middle as he is wont to do. <laughs> uh, that boy gets himself into so much trouble. Uh, I guess it's time to talk about next year, twenty twenty one. Oh, there's there's so much to talk about and so much we can't talk about. Oh, there's so much I can't talk about. Lordy. I was overwhelmed. I was genuinely watching the announcement stream and I was just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. There's so much. Uh, I, I am someone who feels emotions very intensely. And I was emotionally overwhelmed for most of Tuesday. Uh, between the announcement day and the continuing Zendikar previews, I I was, <laughs> had very high blood pressure and very fast heart rate throughout most of the day. It was exhausting and anxiety-inducing. Uh, but uh, that's just how I get about exciting things. It was, I got a little overexcited. Last year, I thought this year was really cool. This year? Oh, next year's really cool. And... It all starts with the first quarter set, which is a 
quote-unquote new plane. Although we technically saw it in Plane Chase on one plane card uh, called Skybreen. And this is the plane of Kaldheim, which is finally Viking World. Everyone has been asking for Kaldheim for years, and we're finally going to Kaldheim. I am so excited. <laughs> God, Chris, you don't even know. Oh, Kaldheim is cool. Kaldheim is a neat set, and I want to give it a, a really special shout-out. Because this is this is technically not the first time we've seen a plane in Plane Chase become an actual world. So we had a plane of uh, Arcos in Plane Chase, which was a kind of ancient mm-hmm. Greek-inspired world. That became Theros. Arcos is, you know, the, the difference in what makes a name good for a single card in Plane Chase is different than what makes a name good for an entire branded world that will also be the branded name of a set. Arcos becomes Theros. We had that happen again the year after, where the plane of Mongsang became the plane of Tarkir. And I just, Kaldheim, I love you, because you got to be Kaldheim. I don't think they could have called it anything else. They could have called it literally millions of other things. They could have just come up with a new plane name. But, uh, yeah, this it's really cool to me because, like, we had uh, Kaldheim appeared in uh, Duels of the Planeswalkers 2014 for the climactic battle between Chandra and Ramaz and was uh, briefly name-dropped in the Rivals of Ixalan story by Angrath. And so, like... We've had these little couple moments where, like, hey, remember Kaldheim exists? And uh, it finally gets to be real. Like, like not that it wasn't ever real. Like, Arcos and Mongsang are real planes in the multiverse. That is just canon. Uh, they are different planes than Theros or uh, Tarkir. But, like, Kaldheim gets to be real, real. And that's ex- really exciting to me. I'm excited because uh, Ryan Pancoast made a tweet saying that Kaldheim was going to be beautiful, and Ryan Pancoast makes the most beautiful art. I mean, there's a lot of beautiful art from Magic Artists, but, like, I am really excited to see Ryan Pancoast's take on Kaldheim. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> and instead... <laughs> you can't. God, you can't say almost anything. It's, it's great. It's, it's not... I want to talk about this. <laughs> I haven't even got to fully talk about Zendikar yet, and I already want to talk about other things. Uh, Anyway, we'll move on to a set that's even harder for me to not talk about called Strixhaven School of Mages. Uh, This is a set that I wrote creative text for. Uh, It's personally, I think, my best work. Uh, Strixhaven is, again, a new world, and it is a... uh, Strixhaven is the name of one of the most prestigious uh, universities in the multiverse. Strixhaven is broken down into five colleges, each with their own unique bit of magic. That's all I'm going to say about it. It is... uh, (laughs) And I will say one more thing. So, if anyone remembers how excited I was for Ikoria, I am even more excited for Strixhaven. Which blows my mind. No, it should blow your mind. It is... Oh, Strixhaven is cool. (laughs) Strixhaven is amazing. I am just kind of overwhelmed. And like... Oh my god. I can't say anything about it, and it hurts. It viscerally hurts to not be able to talk about it yet. But I am, I'm going to have so much to say when we get there. I'm going to be so excited. The tone of voice, the tempo at which I am speaking right now, this kind of energy is 
the entire time we were talking about Strixhaven, this is how I'm going to be. Like, it's so good. It's so exciting. Ah. Yeah, a, a couple of little lore notes. Uh, you mentioned that Strixhaven is the name of the magic school slash university. Uh, it is not the name of the plane. And Mark Rosewater said that the plane is a new one. So new plane can mean a lot of things. Could be somewhere that's been mentioned before and never visited. Maybe never had a set there. Uh, we'll find out. We'll find out second quarter next year. God, it can't come soon enough. Yes. All right, we need to move on to section, uh, to quarter three, because that's where I'm getting, that's my excitement for next year right yeah. now. So, so usually this would be a core set. Uh, there is no core set next year. Instead, we have a set called Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Yes. Forgotten Realms. As in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Like, they finally did it. They finally put the two things together and made them one thing. We've had it for a little while with the uh, D&D books that were magic-based. So we have the Theros book and the Ravnica book. And those are really cool. But now we finally have what is going to be a standard legal product from magic, black-bordered D&D. Like... I'm talking the the hype level in our in our Discord was like through the roof. I have friends who've never played Magic, who've played a lot of D&D, who are like, I'm going to have to look into this. Uh, it is just going to absolutely change a lot of things for when it comes to D&D uh, and Magic in terms of like audiences that are interacting with each other and playing together. I'm just so excited. Also worked on adventures in the forgotten realms so i am about to chew my tongue off yeah you can't tell me anything about it which is fine i'm used to that at oh this point. I, yeah no it is <laughs> it's really interesting i am really interested in seeing people's reaction to it i'm very curious what people are gonna think because like the, like the one thing i can say this is a monumental experiment in magic history uh other than Portal Three Kingdoms and Arabian Nights, which Arabian Nights was eventually folded into the Magic Multiverse, and Portal Three Kingdoms remains as this non-multiversal thing that is literally just, hey, let's take these bits of Chinese history and storytelling and put them on cards. It's not a magic, quote-unquote, set, flavorfully. This set is interesting. Yeah, it's the first time that we've ever seen them aside from those two examples that you just gave. But like, so I guess like the first time in over 20 years that we've seen them go, hey, what if we took something that wasn't magic? Something we didn't have, you know, we didn't create in our own home and use that for a full set. We've had all these like secret layers. We had the Godzilla cards. Yeah. But now we've got a full set of cards, black bordered. New cards. I can't, new cards that are, Dungeons and Dragons. Like, we're talking Faerun here. We're talking Beholders. There could I be mean, some some Illithids. I mean... You can't say anything. You are you <laughs> are talking. I am being very quiet. You are being very quiet, which is important, because I don't want you to break any NDAs. But I am excited. Gonna have my Beholder Commander deck. It's just gonna be Tribal Eye. It's gonna be great. God, next year. Uh, and I would normally in Q4, say, and the other standard set, but something weird is happening next year. Uh, we have oh, yeah. two standard sets at the end of next year, which uh, 
Uh, we we are told is not like an additional standard set like in Lorwyn Shadowmore where they put four sets in the space that normally had three sets. Uh, so it sounds like the second set is being shifted earlier, from from like January February twenty twenty two where it would normally be. Uh, but there is a reason that two sets are kind of next to each other like this because they both take place on Innistrad. We we were told that we don't have final names. Uh, yet, but the the basic breakdown for these sets is that we have Innistrad werewolves, and then Innistrad vampires. In Innistrad is my second favorite plane after Dominaria. Uh, after that, after those two worlds, it's a huge drop off. I am so excited to go back to Innistrad. Two whole sets. Uh, ah, you know, werewolves, vampires. Ah, these are these are great things. These are exciting things. I want, I want, I want. I would have been really worried about a return to Innistrad if it wasn't for the fact that this return to Zendikar looks so amazing. Because Innistrad also had the whole Eldrazi problem and Shadows over Innistrad and uh, Eldritch Moon. Innistrad still has an Eldrazi there. They do, but it's in the moon. It's fine. She she's taking a nap. It's okay. Um, (laughs) While while Imrakul is is asleep, we get to see what's going to happen on Innistrad. And I'm excited for a return to what is also one of my favorite planes. It's just such a rich storytelling opportunity there. And I'm so excited to see what they do with it. Too bad we have to wait a whole year. But, you know. Look, welcome to my life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We also have uh, two smaller supplemental sets were announced. Uh, The first is Time Spiral Remastered, which is out earlier next year. And, And this is kind of a... A condensing of Time Spiral, Planar Chaos, and Future Sight into a single draft format. Uh, they're also doing a cool thing where um, every pack has a old bordered card in it. But the card is a card that has never been printed in the old border. So, uh, so similar to the way that Time Spiral had the time-shifted sheet, where there were a bunch of old bordered cards being reprinted with a special... Um, expansion purple expansion symbol in in boosters this is something similar except they were taking cards that were printed after the original card frame and putting them back into the old card frame uh they showed off uh what chalice of the void was one of them uh in the old brown artifact frame it's pretty neat uh, path to exile, path to exile and i don't remember what the other one was but it's pretty cool uh relentless rats i believe oh yes relentless rats from dark which Steel. is Super cool, because, like, you're going to need a lot of those. Yeah, one of those per pack. Uh, I don't think they announced, like, how many there were or anything. But, like, you know, the the prospect of, like, getting an old bordered, like, you know, what if we get, like, an old bordered Lord Windgrace? Like, we, you know, we could see, uh, they could, they could and make old an old Planeswalker border. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I know nothing. I learned about this set when y'all did. But it's, it seems cool. I I am excited about the potential of getting an old bordered Sarpedian Empires Volume 7. Because that would thrill me to no end. All I have to say about this set is that it is a it is a draft experience. I don't think they said anything about cards getting new art. Uh, I, have, I hope I have no idea. they do. But I do hope whatever they do, they don't put Sprout Swarm at common. Sprout Swarm needs to be a rare, mythic rare, take it out of the set. Anyone who's played any limited of times for I've done like one 
time spiral block draft in Sprout Swarm was like a nightmare. The card is so powerful. If I was building this, I would just not put it in. But uh, you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, I'm I'm excited to see what cards are picked. Uh, that block, I don't know if you know this, but time spiral block has a lot of really freaking weird card designs in it, uh, which which makes limited really exciting. I I, I think those those three sets are really like good for chaos draft because they just have a lot of weird stuff. Um, there's a lot of really interesting cube cards in there. Um, especially Planar Chaos's color shifting, you know, like white gets counter spells and like black has tappers and uh, there's all this haste and card draw in green, which became more normalized over time anyway. And, but just like, <laughs> you know, red has big trampoly creatures, which is does sometimes get now, but it was like, you know, red has giant growth in that set. It's, it's weird. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I think that's very cool. Uh, they announced that it's going to be a paper project product and on uh, Magic Online. That's cool. And then uh, we we get to the sad the sad part of this episode. Sad, maybe for you. For, but... <laughs> well, I'm yeah, I'm talking about my own feelings here. Uh, so when I started writing creative text, uh, the first set I ever worked on was Modern Horizons, which was a hell of a set to start on. Um, <laughs> and you know, it Modern Horizons was always going to be my baby. That is, I'm always going to love that set unconditionally. Hogak, your crimes are all forgiven. Astrolabe, your crimes are all forgiven. I did not work on Modern Horizons 2, which is going to be out sometime next year. And that's very sad to me. I get to be very excited, though, because I loved Modern Horizons 1. Part of it is because of the work you did on it, Lorelai, I will say. Another part of it is because it's just such a cool set, and I'm really excited to see it happen again. Um, they brought in a lot of pros to work on balancing, so we don't have Hogax and Astrolabes. Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, I, I I assume there are tremendous lessons learned from Modern Horizons. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I legit am very excited. Uh, agnostic of my personal interaction with Modern Horizons, uh, the set is just really freaking cool has so many good flavorful things has so many interesting mechanical designs you know it has a lot of that time spiral feel to it uh and and some future sightedness uh in in the way some of the cards mix and match mechanics but uh you know uh one of the things modern horizons did was uh made a cutoff tarkir block was the farthest into magic's future they were going to go with mechanics uh I would hope that they go even farther for Modern Horizons too. So, you know, maybe we see new energy cards or new fabricate cards from uh, Kaladesh. Or maybe uh, Exert gets used in interesting ways. Or, um, God, even like Embalm or Internalize. Or, uh, you know, I, I really, I personally really like the Explore mechanic from Ixalan. You know, there, there's any magic mechanic. Oh my God, there could be new Emerge Eldrazi. Or just emerge. emerge on something that's not an Eldrazi, because you know one one of the fun parts about the first Modern Horizons is we took mechanics that were, you know, had a very strong, uh, flavorful identity and ripped them out of that flavor and put them on other things. So you know, Outlast was the Abzon mechanic and Cons of Tarkir and got it on a sliver. And uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of really cool things that Modern Horizon sets can do. So I am. I'm so excited to see what that set is all about. Like the 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 level of excitement for that set for me is like the same for Commander Legends cuz cuz I I know 
we're going to get a lot of Orthosy deep cuts and goodness in Modern Horizons. Uh, I I always um, said about the first Modern Horizons that it, you know if I hadn't worked on it, it would have been a set. I I was the target audience for it. I was a highly engaged fan who has a long history of playing Magic. I've been playing for seventeen years now. Uh, who who is really engrossed in the lore and world building, and uh, it's the kind of set that I would personally eat up. Modern Horizons 2 hopefully hits all those same things. Uh, and, by the way, contains the five enemy fetch lands. Yeah, I mean, that's important, but, like, I'm mostly excited at seeing what kind of weird cards we get. Give me some fetch lands, sure. I'm, I've been a proponent of just never reprinting fetch lands for a long time, but that's just my own little thing. I still, I still need a Scalding Tarn for my COD, uh, Sonboy Commander deck, but, uh... You know, cheaper turns would be great, but uh, yeah, no. So that's that's next year, and that that was all announced earlier this week, uh, or this last week. Time, uh, time is weird. Yeah, next year is really exciting. Zendikar Rising is really exciting. Uh, and here is Lithoforming. I think is a really cool card. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how good it is in limited. I don't know if it will make standard impact for me personally as a commander player. I think it's a card that red can do a lot with uh you know especially you know yeah. chris you're saying in in the uh wind gray stacks it's obscene it's it just seems obscene for those decks even in the corval decks like think about casting oh, that and just Jesus. sacrificing all of your lands <laughs> corval's a disgusting card you you could deck yourself just sacrifice all your lands draw all the cards it would uh I would not recommend decking yourself in the color that cannot play Laboratory Maniac or Thassa's Oracle, but or Jace, the War of the Spark Jace, whatever it is. Uh, but yeah. yeah, well, well, you just uh, you active trees in someone else's lab maniac, <laughs> and you're good. Uh, sure. And and so that's that's a wrap on this episode, which is kind of a hodgepodge of a bunch of different things. But uh, catching everyone up with all the exciting stuff that was announced and uh, uh, final thoughts. I don't really have any because this was a emotional and exciting episode for me, and I think I'm just going to leave it at that. My final thought is that I'm really excited for episodic format of Magic Story again. Uh, it's my first time on the podcast where I'm going to be able to talk about weekly stories and not just cover an entire novella in an episode, so I'm really excited to get into that sort of content creation. Uh, I do want to just say my final thought is I've seen a lot of takes so far about the story and I just want people to remember this is episodic. We're going to get mysteries. We're going to find cliffhangers. You're going to read a story one week and then be like, I don't understand what just happened. Give it time. We're going to find out. That's one of the, the differences between episodic weekly stories and getting a novel or a novella is that you can't just read the next chapter and know why someone did something or what someone's motivations are. You're going to have to wait like a whole week, which is just going to be painful. But we'll get there together. It's okay. Speaking of getting places together, if you love our podcast, and I hope you do, you can head over to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast and help support us today. All your contributions keep the show running and keep us making weekly episodes. And occasionally... 
offshoot episodes called Beyond the Multiverse, where we talk about other IPs. And uh, we have uh, a couple fun rewards for our patrons. Everyone who supports us gets access to our Discord community, where Vorthoses from around the world are getting together to freak out about Zendikar Rising right now. And uh, maybe do some d and I've heard inklings of Zendikar D&D things happening. We'll see. But, uh, you know, it's it's a wonderful community full of a lot of wonderful folks, and we would love for you to be part of that. And then uh, we changed the, some things up in uh, this month uh, moving forward and, and kind of recalibrated some of our Patreon rewards. And by recalibrated, I mean we took one of them and we just guillotined it right out. Uh, so we, we, <laughs> we have the basic tier for everyone to join the Discord. And then uh, we have uh, another tier called Live Listen. And that gets you the access to listen to us record these episodes, not this episode. Sorry to everyone who like just got into the live listen tier who couldn't live listen to this because it's a preview card episode and we can't talk about preview cards early. So we're doing this in a super secret channel that live listeners don't have access to. But uh, <laughs> normally we record our podcasts around 7 p.m eastern time on thursdays so if that is the time slot you have available and uh you're part of that live listen here you can hop in our discord chat with us before and after the show get to hear everything we talk about before the episodes release to the public and uh just hang out and have a good time we we have lots of good fun uh occasionally interacting with the live listen chat while recording uh a bunch of bunch of smart asses is what y'all are, but uh, you know we 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 love you folks. Uh, you know we all of our live listeners, all of our patrons, just everyone who listens to the show, who tells their friends about the show, everyone who supports us. You know, y'all make this show happen. This show doesn't exist without our audience, you folks, and uh, you know we we appreciate you very much. Yes, please. If if you can only give a dollar, the Discord is so worth it. I love our Discord. I am reading it right now as I'm recording because I'm a bad podcaster. But there's making a lot of Kaldheim predictions right now. Uh, some people want Angrath on Kaldheim. Some people want Garrick. Some people are talking about Elspeth as a shield maiden. So, yeah, real excited. No comment. <laughs> That's a good way to end the episode. So with that, uh, thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.